Romans chapter 1. We started in verse number 1, and we're making our way verse by verse through Romans. And our first message, we only got to that first verse. And I would imagine that we could be in Romans for quite some time. Uh, What I'm finding uh, that's so important is that we tie everything together uh, in every way possible. There may be something that you already knew as a student of the Word that someone who is new to their Bible did not know. I recently got an email from someone that said they never knew that the Apostle Paul and Saul were the same person. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to understand that not everyone was raised in church all of their life with a felt board and a good teacher like Miss Harriet and uh, parents that taught the Bible in home. Uh, Some people are new to the faith, new to their Bible, and it's wonderful for us to embrace all of the truth, even the basics. It's just a wonderful thing for all of us to embrace. Romans chapter 1, and let's go ahead and read verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And to the best of our ability tonight, we're going to get to verse 2 through 4. We're going to increase from one verse hopefully, Lord willing, to a couple of verses, all right? Romans 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we come back into your presence tonight, Lord, we ask you for your word to be preached in power. God, that as we study each word, Lord, that it'll jump off the page and directly into our hearts. God, that we would be encouraged Lord, that we would begin to once again see Jesus for how lovely he is, how powerful he is, how wonderful he is. God, I pray that tonight you would fill our hearts with the truth of your word. Lord, that we would be ready to receive the word. God, now the message has been prepared. Lord, the study and the preparation has happened. Father, it's all in vain unless the Holy Spirit of God does the work. And Lord, I pray for no distractions tonight as we study. Lord, I pray that the people here, the people worshiping online, Father, that they would have an opportunity to focus on the things of God for just a few minutes and turn off the distractions of life in this world. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Use me as your vessel, as your instrument. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. I want to very, very briefly do a quick review. I'm going to try my best not to re-preach each message every time we review, but rather give you really quickly, really briefly the points. If you are going to be a part of this Roman study, now listen to me, I have no way of knowing how long this could go on. I want us to embrace this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans with great excitement, but it could be that we are in Romans for years. We did one verse last time, and there could have been two or three more sermons on that one verse. There may be those times as we study this together. 
So if you miss one of these messages, get in the habit of going back onto YouTube or in the archive on the websites and go ahead and listen to the message so that you are following along. Uh, take real pride and ownership in being able to be a part of this study uh, as we search together the truths of God's Word. So just a few things very briefly about Romans 1.1. 1, 1. I hope you're a note taker and you can do so on your handout. But the nature of Paul's Christian vocation, how Paul saw himself and how Paul identifies himself to the Romans is very important. It's a two or threefold thing that we must see and observe about how Paul saw himself and how Paul described himself to the Romans. Number one, Paul described himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. We broke down that word. We understood what Paul meant. Jesus is the perfect master. Paul was a slave to Jesus Christ. Secondly, that Paul was called an apostle, one that carries the good news, one that brings the news, a messenger, a deliverer. Number three, that Paul was set apart. He was set apart, set aside for the gospel of God. In other words, Paul's entire life, everything that he was when he was Saul of Tarsus, everything that he was as he prepared his journey down the Damascus road. God's hand was in all of it. God was preparing Saul to become Paul. And so then we go back into Romans 1. We see he's a slave. We see that he's an apostle. And then he's set aside for the gospel of God. Now, we saw the gospel of God in this first verse. But the second verse of Romans 1 is part of that gospel of God. In my Bible and in probably your Bible, you'll see parenthesis around or brackets around verse number 2. This is the qualifier about the gospel of God. This is a description. This is a side note about the gospel of God. So it gives us a further description about what he's talking about, what the gospel of God is. So as we get into verse 2, which he had promised afore by his prophets. Okay, what is he talking about has been pro promised? What has been promised? The gospel of God. We talked about the gospel of God a little bit in that first message, but we're going to go a little deeper now in verse number two with the gospel of God. And really three points that I want to make briefly about the gospel of God and what you need to understand the gospel, the gospel in its entirety, the gospel as we have it in our Bible is a promise that was made and it was a promise that was kept. The fact that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, was a promise that was made for hundreds of years by multiple men. And it's a promise that's been kept. It's a promise that's been fulfilled. Number one, the gospel of God was promised by the prophets in Holy Scripture. Remember that. This gospel that Paul is preaching now, that Paul has been preaching as he writes this letter for quite some time, is not some sort of radical thing that Paul came up with on his own fruition. In other words, Paul has not created this story of Jesus. Paul is simply repeating what the Old Testament prophets promised, and then he's making a direct connection to what the prophets promised and the truth about who Jesus was. In other words, Jesus Christ being the Messiah, that the Messiah was coming, was not new news. They had been talking about it and promising it for a very, very long time. There's two distinct 
uh, things here that you must see, two distinctions that really Paul's making. Number one, he talks about his prophets. His prophets. Everything you see in the Old Testament, in some way, in some shape, in some form, in some fashion, is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. Everything you embrace in the Old Testament is pointing to the dire need of mankind for a perfect sacrifice. The economy of sacrifice with animals must at some point come to an end. There must be something better until Shiloh come, until the Messiah come. They have been talking about this for hundreds of years when Jesus comes. This is no new news. And what Paul is preaching is simply the fulfillment of the promises made by these Old Testament prophets. Every time you see something about the coming of salvation, the coming of hope, the coming of the light, it all points to the fact that Jesus was coming. When you go to Isaiah, when you go to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, all the major prophets point to the fact that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and it's pointing to the fact of how needed Jesus is to come. They are in dire need of a perfect sacrifice. In other words, there's still nothing that mankind can do for himself. We all are in need of a Savior. You go to Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. They all promised that he would come. All of the major prophets, all of the minor prophets, all 12 of those minor prophets, all point to the fact that Jesus is coming. This was a promise that had been made. And when Jesus was born in the city of David in Bethlehem, it was a promise that was kept. So know that he's talking about the prophets of old, the same people we read about in our Bible. Secondly, he's talking about canonized holy scripture, the truth that we have in our laps tonight. The prophets spoke clearly of a new covenant that was to come, that the Messiah whose sacrifice would make it possible for the new covenant, that the law of grace and mercy would be applied by the sacrifice there's so much there, we can't spend all night there. We need to keep going. But the prophets and the scriptures. Paul is using the truth to make his point in this letter. Let me say that again. Paul is using the truth of scripture to make his point in the letter. And remember, there is a large Jewish population in Rome. At this point in time, uh, the Romans have expelled the Jews and they've let the Jews come back. And so Paul, remember, we're reading a letter. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He's writing this to even people who are of Jewish descent, who absolutely positively know who Moses is, who Elijah is, who all of these prophets we mentioned are. This is nothing new. But what those people are accusing Paul of is writing something or preaching something that's radical and different. Paul is saying this is the same truth, the same promise that was made. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. He's making sure they embrace the fact that the Messiah that those men preached about in the Old Testament, that person is Jesus Christ fulfilled in his birth. He's making the proof He's making the point with the truth of Scripture. So his prophets and Scripture. Number two, the gospel of God, truly at the core of everything that happens, the gospel of God concerns Jesus Christ, who is God's Son. Jesus Christ, who is God's Son. Now there's a thing there that says the seed of David, made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Remember, 
Jesus is all God and he is all man. The humanity of Christ was, yes, directly linked to his mother, Mary. But as we will find in a moment and as we will review, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an absolute. Jesus was born a virgin, period. We'll show that in scripture in a moment. But the fact that Jesus is who he says he is must be embraced. Paul is reminding the Romans, do not fear right or left. Stay in the truth. Stay in the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. It's very clear that Jesus is who he said he was. We oftentimes look at Jesus, listen, and I want to get this out the best way I know how. Often in life, we're saturated with information about tons of people. You can go on social media and find out something about just about everybody. That's just part of the world we live in. We have access to Hollywood stars and uh, sports figures and all these people that are on social media. You can go find them, send them a message. Maybe they see it, maybe they don't. Maybe they reply. Maybe they block you for being crazy for reaching out to them. The point is we have access to a lot of information about people. Even in the time of Jesus, there were people who were writing down the things that were happening. Even in the time of the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Romans, there are people writing down what's happening in time and in history. Jesus is not some sort of mythological creation. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is a part of the Trinity, the triune God. He's all God. He's all man. But Jesus Christ is a historical figure. He's a historical figure. Just like you go in your history book and read about George Washington and you know that he was the first president and you know all the stories about Mount Vernon. As you read that and understand it, and uh, maybe he had wooden teeth. I don't know if that's actually verifiable. I've seen the pictures online. That's just crazy. But we know about George Washington. He's a historical figure. He's our first president. We see George Washington sometimes, listen now, the flesh will allow you to see George Washington as more of a sure figure than sometimes Jesus Christ, who is the son of God. That's the flesh. But Jesus Christ is not some sort of mythological creature or a figment of a madman's imagination. Jesus Christ is an actual historical figure. Have no doubt he lived on this earth. And even in the madness of what the Romans were, filthy, horrible, nasty, degraded human beings who were filled with demons and devils, there was a historian named Tacitus who wrote about something in the local news. Tacitus, Cornelius Tacitus, a Roman historian. This would be like going back into the New York Times and reading an article from 1915, 1919, we go back into the Roman newspaper put out by Tacitus, and we go to the annals of Tacitus, volume 15, column 44. This is a newspaper article. This is a historical account written by this man. I want you to listen to what this man wrote Listen, this is not in scripture. This is something out of a history book. You can find this on Britannica. You can find this in the Library of Congress. Listen to what it says. But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the perpetuation of the gods 
did not banish the sinister belief. The sinister belief that Tacitus is referring to, a Roman pagan, not a Christian, but the sinister belief that he's referring to is the belief of Jesus Christ and his followers. He goes on, Consequently, to get rid of the report or to get rid of this phenomenon that's happening, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, this is the name he gives for Christ, Christus, from whom the name had its origin, hmm, suffered the most extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Have you heard that name before? And this Christus suffered a most terrible death. Thus, this mischievous superstition checked out for but a moment. Oh no, he died. But again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of this evil, Christianity, but even now in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. Accordingly, Nero, this emperor, he arrests these people who call themselves Christians. This crime, this hatred against humanity. Nero was losing control of the wildfire spreading in Rome that there was a man in the hills of Judea who was of Galilee, who was of Nazareth, who was of Bethlehem, who had called himself the Messiah, Christus, the Christ. And he had been nailed to a Roman tree as according to their custom. And he said that for a moment it had silenced three days and the three nights in the tomb. But then something had happened that it broke out again called resurrection. Jesus Christ is a historical figure. He's real. Now don't use this as something more than scripture to validate who Jesus Christ is. This is just yet again more proof that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. A historical figure. Paul is pointing to the truth of everything that Jesus was. This gospel of God. Jesus was of the seed of David. This is so important. This lineage that we're able to trace. That we're able to find that Mary, his earthly mother, yes, you can find the trace back to David. And even his uh, father, his uh, earthly father, his legal father, that you could find a trace back to David in his bloodline. All of these things were promised. And now the Gospel of John, it upholds the belief, it upholds the necessity to believe that Christ came in the flesh. This really was the Son of God. John 4, 2 through 3. This is actually 1 John 4, 2 through 3. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ was the Son of God in the flesh who remains sinless, who was perfect. And the Apostle Paul wants these Romans who have veered off course to remember who they are and who it is they worship. And whenever you see a group of people who are believers get off the tracks, whenever you see a Christian fade away in their walk of faith, whenever they get off the rails, whenever they go left when they should have gone right, whenever they should have stopped and they kept going, you've got to go back to the basics. You've got to remind them who it is they believe in, who it is that paid their sin debt on their cross. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is pointing to the basics of their faith. Remember who it is Jesus really, really is. This is an incredible thing that he's doing here. Because Jesus is fully human, he's fully God. Because of that, he can serve in two capacities. Number one, he can serve as the perfect substitute. Jesus, because he was in the flesh, and because he did live here on this earth, that's the qualifier for being mankind's perfect substitute. The fact that he lived a life on this earth, the fact that he was the perfect sacrifice, that allows us to have a substitute. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus was your substitute. That's why the Catholics are wrong when they say you can work your way to heaven. Hogwash. There is nothing inside humanity that can work its way to heaven. There's nothing inside of a human being apart from the Holy Spirit of God in the heart of a believer that's worth anything. Winston Parrish apart from God plus Winston Parrish plus Winston Parrish plus Winston Parrish equals absolutely zero. Add Jesus Christ to the mix and it's everything. Are you with me tonight? This is what Paul's preaching through this letter. John 1, 29. The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He was your perfect substitute. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Imagine the only perfect person ever to live, the son of the almighty God of heaven. And he allows his son to become the filth of Winston Parish. Every lie I would ever tell, every impure thought I would ever think, Jesus became that literal thing on the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out for my sake upon his precious son whom he loved. That is the love and that is the mercy and that is the grace of a great God who bestowed upon us a great gift. Number one, Jesus serves as our perfect substitute. Secondly, he serves as a sympathetic high priest, a compassionate high priest. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
When Satan took Jesus into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was tempted but remained sinless and perfect. When he tempted the Lord, Jesus looked back at him and quoted scripture and was victorious. Thus leaving and pointing us to the truth that you do not have to sin when tempted. You can flee from your sin, quote scripture, and flee from, the, from Satan himself. That's what Jesus Christ did. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This great substitute is also a compassionate high priest that allows you to have access through prayer directly to the ear of God the Father. Thirdly, about the gospel of God and lastly, about the gospel of God. This concerns Jesus Christ who was appointed the Son of God in power to the Spirit and by his resurrection from the dead. In other words, what Paul is pointing to is you can know that Jesus is the Son of God by a few distinct markers. We'll get to those in a few minutes. But read with me again verse number four. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This word declared. This word, it really is the Greek term of horizon, the horizon. It means to distinguish, to make known clearly, this word means. And just as the horizon serves for us as a clear demarcation line dividing the earth and dividing the sky, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the clear demarcation line that points to the fact that he is exactly who he said he was. If Jesus Christ did not get up out of that grave, there's no point in us being here tonight. If you believe in a Christ that does not include the resurrection, then you do not believe in Jesus as described in the Holy Bible. The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection... He got up. He got up. That's our faith. That's our hope. He is who he said he was because he self-extricated himself from the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The resurrection, the demarcation line, the son of God, the title given to him. He's still all God. He's still all man, but it's his part of the triune God, the Trinity. God did not give Jesus lesser power or lesser deity. You're talking about three gods, one God in three distinct characteristics. Jesus is just as much God as God the Father, as is God the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God, but it is not a lesser role. But in his love for the Father, he applied himself, he humbled himself before the Father to become the sacrifice on the cross for you and for me and with great power. Jesus was not weak. Jesus was not spineless. Jesus was strong. He was mighty. He was holy. And if he wanted to, he could have self-extricated himself, not only from the tomb, but from the cross itself. Yet in love and in mercy, he gave up the ghost and he died on your behalf and on mine. 
And now I want us to go into the practical application portion of what this means for all of us. Get out your nine absolutes about Jesus. I'm going to do this as quickly but as thoroughly as possible. Nine absolutes about Jesus Christ. These are things that you cannot allow yourself or anyone else to challenge when it comes to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number one, absolute number one. Jesus is absolutely a deity. He is part of the Godhead. He will always be. He has always been. I asked the question here on this piece of paper, what is God? I answered that according to scripture. God is a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. And in his, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Amen. That's who our God is. And remember what the word infinite means. There's no limit to how great he is. God can respond to you as well as he can respond to someone in Tanzania tonight and be just as much God to that person in Tanzania as he is to the person here on Shelburne Road. That is the might and the power and the deity of who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, his virgin birth. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but the verses that hold these truths up are attached for your study later down the road. His virgin birth Mary was simply put a virgin. Mary was absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, a virgin. There are contemporaries, there are uh, scholars, I say that term loosely, there are so-called pastors and preachers and evangelists and theologians that are beginning to shy away from the virgin birth of Jesus Christ who are spineless, who are weak, and who have no faith. Jesus Christ was born a virgin. It was not a Roman soldier that was your Messiah's father. It was not Joseph that was your Messiah's father. One spineless so-called preacher stood in a pulpit not too long ago and said, I don't have to have Jesus to be born of a virgin. If you would turn in your Bible to Isaiah and see that it said clearly that he was to be born of a virgin, then you would understand that you must have him born a virgin from a virgin. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. It's an attack of this world, of the enemy itself against this generation to begin to rob the supernatural workings of God, the supernatural things that happen in scripture to weaken this generation. If you don't have resurrection and if you don't have virgin birth, you don't have a Jesus. It infuriates me when someone questions the virgin birth of my Lord and Savior. How dare they? He was born of a virgin. If you don't believe that in scripture, then don't believe anything in scripture. You can't have your cake and eat it too and your finite, infinite, wannabe mind can't understand it all. But by faith believe he was born a virgin because the Bible says so. You better hold true and near and dear to these principles. Your children better know and understand that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is off the table of discussion. He was born a virgin. The Holy Ghost of God 
flooded the womb of a teenage girl named Mary. And he was born a virgin. A supernatural working of God. Embrace it, church. Believe it, church. And defend it, church. He was born a virgin. Jesus was born a virgin. Luke 135, the angel answered and said to her, Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Paul is trying to shake this church in Rome and he's reminding them, Jesus, the gospel of God, it is your hope. Turn back to the roots of your faith. These are non-negotiables. That he is the Son of God that he was born of a virgin. Thirdly, Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus was all God, he was all man, but he remained sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we've already read it. He became sin that knew no sin. It's an absolute. If you have Jesus who sins, you do not have the Son of God. You say, Pastor, these are so basic. That's why we're studying Romans. Paul's reminding them of the basics because if you'll get this right, the rest of it will build up just fine in your faith. You must believe and understand that he had a sinless life. Fourthly, his miraculous ministry. His miraculous ministry. Jesus healed sick people with a touch. He healed sick people with a thought. He called Lazarus, his friend, out of a grave after his body was already decomposing in Bethany and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up and walked out. That is not a question. That is not a maybe. That actually happened. Jesus Christ had a miraculous ministry, a powerful ministry. He fed thousands of people with five cracker loaves and two little sardine fishes. When you hear two fishes, when you get over to Israel, you'll understand. We aren't talking about king mackerel, king salmon, or some sort of Jonah the whale story fish. We're talking about two little sardines that your Lord and Savior looked upon the multitude, saw they were hungry, and said, I can't have them be hungry. I'll first feed them in their physical man, and then I will Preach exactly what they need. That's who your Jesus was. And he had a miraculous ministry. John 2.11, it tells us this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. This is referring to the water into wine. Jesus was miraculous in his ministry and in his doings. Number five, according to the Old Testament prophets, in the way in which Jesus would die, his arrest, his trial, and his wrongful conviction. It's all part of exactly how God had it uh, from the beginning of time. They knew what would happen. Well before Judas was ever the traitor, Jesus looked at him and knew. He called him. He said it. You'll betray me. One of you is a devil, he says. It was all part of the plan. The kiss the silver, Barabbas, the whole story. 
And you must embrace that Jesus did not simply become an old man and die as certain people like to try to propagate. But Jesus was arrested in that garden. He was tried, he was whipped, he was tortured, and he was wrongfully convicted. This is the greatest crime ever com committed on this earth. The greatest crime when mankind plotted and murdered the Son of God, who was sinless and perfect. Number six, his death by Roman crucifixion. His death by Roman crucifixion. Very quickly turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse number one. Media team, I didn't give you those verses, but if you could put Psalm 22, one up. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse number six, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. Verse number 12, Many bulls have compassed me. That bull is a sign of evil, of hell, and of demons. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as ravening and a roaring lion. Who is the roaring lion as we know him? Satan himself. Number 16 of Psalm 22. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. This is a thousand years before the Roman occupation of Judea and Samaria. Yet David is crying out, they have pierced my hands and my feet. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The fact that Jesus Christ was captured, arrested, and condemned by a Roman prefect condemned to die in the most horrific way the Romans could imagine, crucifixion. Yet 1,000 years before crucifixion was even happening, it was found in Psalms 22. The fact that Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God, born in Bethlehem, lived a sinless, perfect life, and then was crucified is more proof thousands of years old that he was absolutely the Son of God. In this first verse of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Was repeated on the cross when Jesus was literally becoming your sin on your cross, receiving your punishment, your damnation from a holy God, when he took that upon himself, he quoted Psalms 22 verse 1, Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus on the cross cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. That is to say, my God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand how important it is to know that Jesus was exactly who he said he was? The Son of God. It so enrages, it so makes mad and horrifically angry the world and the enemy when you invoke the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because it's real, it's true, and you must believe this. These are the basics, but there is such power and authority in these basics, and it's exactly what Paul wanted the Romans to see. There is no way on earth to construct a lie this complex, this put together for thousands of years, and here we are yet again thousands of more years later, and in our hearts we know we believe the Holy Spirit of God as our assurance and as our witness and as our comforter. We know who Jesus Christ was. He is the Son of God, and His death, His crucifixion by the Romans is a must in our faith. His resurrection, we've talked about it already. We celebrate it every Sunday morning here at Trinity Baptist Church. He got up. He did not die. He did not decompose for three days. He borrowed the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and then he got up. And he got up in such a way that it scared Nero. Listen, this is 1,436 miles from Jerusalem to modern day Rome. It would have absolutely spread like wildfire person to person, person to person on ships and boats and by sea and by land. It would have taken, supposed to have been taken thousands of years for those stories to reach Rome. It should have taken generations for the story of Jesus Christ to reach Rome. But just a few years later, the truth about Jesus of Nazareth is spreading like wildfire. You better do something with this truth. If you're here tonight, if you're watching online and you do not believe upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, if you refuse to participate as you feel in religion or action or things that make you feel guilty and you want to push away the truth of who he is, you better understand that this is absolute truth. It takes more faith to deny who he is than it does to believe with all your heart, soul, and mind. God will give you the faith. He'll convict you of your sins. He'll give you eternal life. Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he was. His resurrection, his ascension, number eight. The comforter that comes. Those who wish to simply disassociate themselves from the office work of the Holy Spirit. You're missing the greatest thing about being a Christian. That you have the comforter who comes. Who whispers to you in the midnight hour. Who loves you who cares for you, who's your best friend when you're all alone, who is your source of truth and hope and inspiration, and who will never, ever fail you. The Holy Spirit came. Yes, Jesus ascended into heaven, but the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, He came. And then lastly, what's been on my heart so heavy here lately, His second coming. He's coming again. Listen, folks, you better have your faith nailed down. Don't be on the fringe. Don't be on the outside looking in. There's too much 
at stake to simply ignore Jesus Christ of Nazareth? What will you do with him? What will you do with this story? If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, here's the good news. God knows that you're not a believer. I can't tell. And here's the really, really good news. It's not up to me to save you. There's nothing I can do for you. I simply just preach the truth as a vessel. And then the Holy Spirit of God does the work. And whether you choose to believe, whether you choose to disassociate yourself, you're right, it's your choice. But one day, every man, every woman, and every young person that's here under the sound of my voice, watching now on camera too, maybe you're in Indiana, maybe you're in Florida, maybe you're watching, and it's months later in the archives online. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And what Paul, this great apostle, wanted these Christians in Rome to know is that they would remember, that they would embrace, that they would believe in who Jesus was. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. Lord, thank you for what you are allowing us to study and allowing us to read. God, this letter that your man, Paul, wrote to these Romans. Lord, thank you that I get to read it tonight. Lord, thank you for the simplicity in Paul's letter that these Romans would remember the gospel of God, the good news that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, that he had come, that he had died becoming sin and that he had resurrected. And Lord, tonight as we continue to dive into this story, God, I pray that our hearts would be securely fastened the truth of your word. God, I pray for my generation. God, my heart has become so burdened for those in their 20s and 30s and 40s. God, we have been served so many lies by the enemy. In this great age of technological advance, God, there's so much content, so many naysayers, so many skeptics, so many false teachers and preachers who are preaching to itching ears. God, I pray that we would find ourselves securely, firmly fastened to the truth of your word. And Father, now I pray that the spirit of sleepiness that's upon this generation of today, that God, you would shake that tree, and shake it hard. Oh Lord. Lord, so simply put, I want everyone I know and love to go to heaven. I don't want anybody I know, anyone I love, to die and go into an eternity separated from God. I want them to know that He's coming. Oh Lord, I beg of you, shake our generation with the truth of your word. imminent so close second coming of your son Lord I beg you I beg you to set our fields on fire 
Lord, stir Trinity Baptist Church to its core. Stir us. Lord, we desire to see a harvest of souls saved. And these basic, simple truths hidden deeply in the hearts of those we care about and those we love. Lord, I do not know, I cannot contemplate how people are living in this day without the assurance of their salvation, without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Lord, those people, I beg of you to open their eyes before it's too late. Oh Lord, that we would weep once again for those who are lost, that we would reject the idea that this is some sort of entertainment or program, but Father, a living church with a living Savior of which you said that the gates of hell should not prevail. God, stir your church. Stir your church. Stir the people, Father. In Jesus' mighty, powerful, holy, divine, majestic name, we beg of you for a harvest of souls, real conversions, new babies born in the womb of the church. God, grant it. Lord, we reject the spirit of complacency. We reject the spirit of apathy. We reject the spirit of cold-heartedness. And we beg you for fresh oil for the church. Set us ablaze for the truth of your word and the capability to change lives forever. Grant it in the name of Jesus for your glory. Use your people. God, I beg you, use your people. We belong to you. We're yours. We're in your control. You own this property. You own this building. You own this pulpit. You own the man behind the pulpit. Lead us, Holy Spirit, and we will follow. Guide us, God, through your word, and we will listen. Tenderize our hearts. Shake the tree tonight. Deeply, deeply shake our tree. Stir our hearts. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I pray that we'd stop looking at our clocks with such disdain. God, that when we walk in this building, there would be a spirit and a desire that we would pray for the Holy Spirit of God to move and devastate people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need fresh breath from heaven. Do it. As humbly we know how, we ask all of these things according to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. authority and there is power in the name of Jesus. I want him to change so many lives. Is there anyone here tonight you'd say, Pastor, I have someone specifically on my heart that I know either they've told me 
or in their life they completely reject Jesus Christ. And I love or I care for that person. I want them to be saved. Is there anyone here who has a burden for someone? My hand is up. My hand is up. I want God to save the people represented in my raised hand. Do you know what? He can save them. He is able. He can save them. Pam, Chris, he can save them. Greg, he can save them. Clayton, he can save them. Mark, he can save him. Gail, he can save him. Jimmy, my God is able to save him. I don't want anyone I love to miss heaven. they would spend eternity away from God. Oh my. Keith. I don't want anyone I love to miss heaven because of pride. Because of pleasure. For a season, the devil is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is a destroyer. But my Jesus is greater than he is. And he is able to save them. For the mark, all those precious people, those thousands of people in those labor camps that you have preached the truth to, he's able to save them. They can come straight from the clutches of Islam, see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and be in heaven forever with us one day. That's the power of the name of Jesus. Now what Paul wanted these Romans to know is that the truth, the gospel of God is everything. In Trinity Baptist Church, the gospel, the good news for us is everything. You say, Pastor, you're too emotional. Do you realize, do you realize what an eternity is. I'm not talking about a thousand years. I'm not talking about even a million years. I'm talking about eternity, the rest of time as you know it, times infinity. Every one of us will spend that amount of time over and 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 over infinity somewhere. And I don't want anyone I love have to go to a place of eternal judgment when Jesus already took the wrath of God for them. This is a gift they must receive. You must believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. You must repent and be saved. You will be born again based upon that belief. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, 
Don't wait for me to do an invitation. Get up out of your chair. Get in this altar and ask God to save you and he will. Don't mess with eternity. I know it's a strange way to end a service. I know we're just trying to preach verse by verse in Romans. I think God's doing something in the heart and the life of our church. We better be tender. We better not miss it. I don't really know what to do. Let's just pray for a moment. I know it's 8 o'clock. We'll go in a moment. Just help me pray. Let's just pray. If you're watching online tonight and you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved. Info at tbcashville.org. I get those on my phone. I can see them. Info at tbcashville.org. Somebody that's watching, put that in the comments. Email me tonight. I'll answer you. I'll call you, talk to you on the phone if you're lost and need a Savior. I'll go through what Scripture says. I'll pray with you on the phone tonight before you go to bed. Info at tbcashville.org. Rory, help me watch that, please, Pastor Rory. It's a strange burden tonight. Let's just pray and then we'll be dismissed. Pastors, is, is there anything on your heart? Pastor Allen, is there anything you need to say before we dismiss? Pastor Dwight, Pastor Will, Brother John, anything you need to say before we dismiss? Pastor Doug, Pastor Rory, Mark, Elliot, is there anything you need to say before we dismiss? Okay. Let's pray. I can't hear you, dear, but I'm coming back to you here in a moment. We're going to pray, and I'm coming directly to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come back into your presence. God, as humbly as we know how. Lord, we know the authority and the truth of your word. God, we know what you have stirred in our hearts tonight. God, this fresh burden for lost people that we love and care for. Now, God, you are able to save that person who's lost and undone. You're able to take the good news, the gospel of God, and open their eyes. God, we ask that you would do it. According to your will, according to your timing and plan. God, that they would see Jesus for who he is. Lord, I ask for a renewed commitment in the hearts of our people. God, to share this good news with those we love. In truth and in love, speak to the hearts of people we care about. That everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Lord, I pray that you would break down walls and barriers for conversations to happen. God, I pray for the prodigal who is yet to come home. God, the prodigal who's hidden in the house. Who's at the table, who's present, but whose heart is in a faraway country. God, bring them home. 
prepare Trinity Baptist Church for the future, for what we're to be. Keep us in your perfect will. Keep us safe till we meet again on the Lord's day. Be with our pastor emeritus tonight. Lord, thank you for his faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you bless him tonight. Lord, touch his old knee that hurts. God, the millions of miles he's traveled for the cause of Christ. God, I pray that you bless him. for this trip across the world to sound the alarm. Allow no harm to come to our heads. Allow no harm to come to our feet. Keep the airplanes safe. Lord, you know our heart and our desire. If it's your will, put us exactly where we need to be when we need to be there. We give you that effort. We ask you to meet the financial needs. You know the motivations. You know the intentions of our heart. We pray that you would use it for thy glory, for thy sake. In Jesus' name, Trinity Baptist Church prays. Amen.